1: We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter.
2: We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your
3: podcasts. Hello and welcome to another installment of History Hack. We've been promising this for a couple of weeks now. Uh, you all loved Sharp's reunion so much. Um... But in truth, it was uh, it was frantic getting it together and getting the lovely Sean Bean on, and so we weren't able to get everybody that we wanted to talk to. So the lovely Jason Salkey has been beavering away in the background for the last couple of weeks, with the result that we have. All of the chosen men with us today for Sharks Reunion Part 2. Whoop whoop. This is going to be go awesome. On. Yeah. Okay. So let's go around the virtual room because we're not breaking any laws. Firstly, our historian Zach is back. Hey Zach.
4: Hi Alex. How you doing?
3: I'm good. Thank you. Uh, we also have Marcus Cribb, who is the manager at Apsley House and another, uh, shop, aficionado. Hello. Hey Marcus. Hey, don't um, and we also have Adam Barnes with us. He's a member of the reenactors group, the 95th Rifles. Hey Adam. Hi Alex they're basically here to fanboy over the rest of them so we have first off we have sergeant daniel hagman hello john tams
1: oh good good morning
3: and how is lockdown john
1: oh it's got it's all right it's creaky but uh, I, i'm still trying to find the key
3: brilliant right. it's fantastic to have you with us we also have lyndon Davis, rifleman ben yeah. perkins how you doing how is lockdown for you you're in cheltenham aren't you we
5: are in cheltenham yes it's okay I'm, it's it's not difficult.
3: It's all right. But you'd love your football back, is that right? Uh
4: we do. We do miss a bit of football at the moment, that's for sure.
3: And the pub. And the pub. Yeah. <laughs> we also have with us Michael Mears, <laughs> Rifleman Francis Cooper. Hey Michael.
6: Hi, Francis Cooper. Pick lock, of course. So if you're locked in, I'm your man. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <Brilliant>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we also have Paul Trussell, Rifleman oh, Tom. Oh, hello. Uh lockdown's <laughs> fine,
5: uh, for me. It's going very well, thank you. Um oh.
3: South <laughs> London, is that right?
5: Yeah, well I'm going. In the in Wimbledon, in the Dom, um and um, you know, as, I'm a borderline agrophobic at the best of times, so you know, not really much, much change.
3: <laughs> Brilliant, and of course, Jason is back. Hello, Jason. Reichelman Hi, guys. Good to be here. You're a little lovely bit to be excited. Here. Thanks, aren't Alex. You? Thanks.
2: Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm trying to hold myself down here. Um, lovely to see all of us together like this.
5: Um, love you all. Mwah.
3: I love that you all bought props as well. (laughs) Apart from Lyndon, you all appear to have bought props. Put that sombrero on. Lyndon does have a sombrero (laughs) on the back of his dining room door. I feel he's to fit in, he's going to need to put it on at some stage. Right, you know, you know, Alex,
2: in the first episode, Perkins had so few lines, Lyndon thought he was a prop. (laughs) (laughs) ouch burn (laughs) not not on linden not on linden not a burn on him
3: oh brilliant okay guys we have so many questions that have come in um and as you rightly say some of them are quite probing uh this is going to be fun um let's start with guy barfoot um because he asked Did any so Jason? We already know this about you, but for the rest of you, did any of you have an interest in the Napoleonic era before you got cast in the series? Let's go to Paul.
5: Um, short answer is not really. Uh, I was I I was listening to Jason and Short in the previous podcast. I was a bit more like uh, Jason. I think more of a sort of growing up in the seventies. It was all World War Two stuff that was uh, kind of capturing my imagination um at that sort of time like uh you know movies like the great escape and stuff like that um so so that was more my my thing really um yeah but i mean you know you get hooked along in it um when we went off and did our maneuvers with old rifleman uh richard moore and um you know you just you just sort of fall in love with it really and uh you know cooking your sausages over a fire and that type of thing
3: brilliant and mike what about you
6: um. Not really. Uh, I think. I think Paul nailed it. Yeah. One was just sort of um, very uh, familiar with World War Two and to a lesser extent World War One. But any sort of wars further back. Um. Not really. Although, you know, in my in my acting life, I do get to play a lot of period parts. Maybe because of my schnoz. I don't know. My clothes. <laughs> I look, I look good, I don't look good in modern costume. I mean, I once played an ambulance man in a film and I, I went to see the cast and crew screen. I, looked, I thought, I don't, I don't like any ambulance man I've ever seen in my life. I just don't look like an ambulance man. But, um, so once we started on Sharp, I, I did feel very at home in the period and, um, and got to know a lot about it. Uh, yeah, and as Paul says, yeah, sort of fell in love with the, fell in love with the lifestyle to a degree.
3: Yeah, I mean, it sounded quite gritty, but I guess just hanging out with your mates and playing war is not the worst thing to do, is it, John?
1: I was very interested in uh, the Napoleonic era before Sharp, and after Sharp, I had no interest whatsoever.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You've done it to death, is what you're saying.
1: No, I I think most of the... If if I'm inclined to think about myself uh, as a musician and singer, then obviously that era... Around the time of the Napoleonic Wars was very rich in, uh, traditional culture. And I live about a mile away from Pentridge, wherein, in 1817, uh, was the last English revolution. So I'm keen on that. I've written a screenplay about that. And so yeah, all that, all that stuff. And, that, and then I, of course, more recently I've been involved with War Horse at the National. So that was the Great War. So I'm, yeah, I'm interested in war. I feel yeah. it
3: would be hugely ironic if Lyndon had the least lines of everybody and was the only one passionately in love with the Napoleonic era before you started filming.
5: Probably going to be disappointed by that one. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, I haven't uh, read the books and uh, still haven't read the books or the Smiths, really. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no no, not at all unfortunately not. didn't even know it happened
3: <laughs> brilliant and i love your honesty uh, <laughs> oh you've already mentioned um the training so from what jason told us on the last show you guys had a, a two-week boot camp didn't you of all things napoleonic lyndon were you even listening
5: uh yeah For that question <laughs> <laughs> no, in the workshop in with Richard Moore. Was I there? Just to just to go back actually to what something Lyndon said, when we um when we first went out there with the the very, very first director who was Jim Goddard, a wondrous, great big giant of a man, lovely man, who was eventually replaced by Tom Clegg for reasons that I don't really know. But anyway, uh I remember getting out there into into the Ukraine and sort of saying to Jim, So, Jim, you know, I, I, I was probably sucking up a bit. I was like, so Jim, you must have read all the books. And like, no, no, not making the books, I'm making a film. <laughs> 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 I haven't read the books, only read the script, I don't need to read the books. I was like, fairly chastened, I just sort of walked off with my tail between my legs, you know.
2: It's funny you should say that because I don't, I'd love to ask you guys, but at my audition, we didn't talk anything about Napoleonics, anything about Sharpe, Burn and Cornwall warfare, nothing. We just sat there talking about my dad. Oh yeah. And my dad's a writer, and that's all he was interested in. Mm. So when I walked out the door, I thought, oh, "Fuck that! That's <laughs> no one got that job." <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. Jim. Jimbo. <laughs> didn't, it was I like thought I, was,
6: I thought I was onto something because Jim said to me, "Show me your left profile." And going show be your right profile.
5: Wellington. Would so, so, you move to the edge of the screen? The room, please, Michael? Then you <laughs> might it. <have been. laughs>
6: Can <laughs> you show me a reaction to um,
3: <laughs>
5: yeah an explosion so many miles away? Yeah.
3: Was that part of your audition process, guys? <laughs> show me your reaction to um... <laughs>
6: that could have been then I'd have been weeded out.
3: You know? that's, <laughs> that, that's a bit
5: of an in joke, actually. The reaction <laughs> thing, yeah. um, triple. Which, well, it was about this. There, there was a there's a bit in
1: was it rifles? Just rifles,
5: rifles. <laughs> where, the, where the farmhouse uh, blows up and so they blew up the farmhouse and then about three days later they asked us to react to it as though, we were watching, <laughs> as though we were watching it and so I thought to myself oh god this is one of those moments those acting moments you know where you think oh I'll, I'll go oh you'll get all excited but I thought no the thing to do is do nothing and let the audience sort of read it on our face and I think most of us got that memo. Uh, didn't we? <laughs> but, yeah, but in my case,
6: in my case, I did the first part of Paul's sentence. I didn't do the second bit.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I could have to go back and watch but your reaction to this film. In, fa- in,
2: in fairness to Michael Mears, I think we shot it in August, the, the blowing up with Paul McGann. And then we shot the reaction in Portugal four months later. Right, John?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think I think hey, that was the
2: case. We shot the reaction four months later in Portugal. But it's not my proudest moment on screen, so, <laughs>
4: but,
5: but out, of, out of that came this. Out of that came this moment some days later, where uh, Dara referred to this. He said, "Oh, there, there is over there having a Michael Mears moment," and, uh, and this became known. Uh, uh, this became known as a triple M. And a triple M was, was a reference to any kind of, um,
4: you know, <laughs> yeah. slightly
5: overt piece of
2: stagecraft. <laughs>
4: well,
2: it, it, actually, it derives from its double take. So you do a double take, but Mickey did a triple take. <laughs> Although he didn't, really. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. Uh But oh. we named him Triple after that.
3: Oh, I love <laughs> it. Anytime M- anyone overreacts <laughs> to anything in my life, again, I'm going to call it a Michael Mears moment. Um,
5: Just, it's going to be a Triple, triple M. Triple, M. triple, M. triple M. M. Okay. Michael is known by, by all of us lot as Triple or, or Triple M. Triple. <laughs> okay. Called.
3: Anyway, let's get back to the point of the training. Mm. Um Why? <laughs> yeah, no. I'm just vaguely trying to uh, have some semblance really? of control over this. I'll I don't that. think people want it. Go on, Mike. Answer that.
6: Well, let's say something. And this refers to a later question about the recoil. I do remember Richard Moore, you know, our military advisor and trainer, taking us out to a field. Where was it? Somewhere in northwest London. Holland and Holland. Holland. Holland.
5: Holland. Holland. Holland and Holland. Yeah,
6: yeah. And and putting um, putting oh. gunpowder in the pan. Yeah?
5: Mm.
6: yeah, yeah. And and cardboard. Yeah, all of that. And they put a load in mine. Just he obviously must have thought, "Oh, this guy needs a bit of shaking up." And it, it went off. Now there's no recall because we weren't firing a bullet, but whew, all this stuff went up into my eye and into my face. And uh, he said, "You know, that, that's what it's like. You know, that's what it's like." You didn't that. <laughs> and, um, but it was a constant thing during filming. We had to sort of remember to do the recall because we weren't finding, and so often we'd forget, or one person would forget, and two would remember, and. I thought it was a bit of an issue, but I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think um viewers watching it think, oh, he didn't recall. There can't be a bullet. In
3: that I'm game. pretty sure Adam, Marcus and Zach do, but they're probably yeah. on yeah. their yeah. own. <laughs> yeah. You're lucky that fact, not everybody's fact, on that level.
5: In fact, very, very, very often. I mean, I only did the first two, but lads can tell you about the, the last ones, but very often the rifles didn't go off. I don't want to don't want to spoil you the magic, but there's a bit where we're doing, uh, for example, the the, the salute, uh, the gun salute over the grave of Lennox. Uh, Lennox, yeah. And I think uh, we did it about four times, and at any of those, in any of those takes, only about three of the guns went off, and it was so disappointing when you pulled the trigger and it just went flat. <laughs> <laughs> Especially
2: after the build up of the take, you know, yeah. action with positioning and the. I uh, remember Dara used to bet on how many would go off or how many would you go <laughs> off.
3: John, Dara, what do you remember? About? <laughs> yes. John, what do Dara. you remember from the training? Ah, oh, he has a rifle. A rifle. Mm. Did you nick that from the I set? We thought Sean nicked everything. <laughs>
1: It here and then you go
3: like
1: oh. oh! I fired Mr. Knop fully loaded yep. once to open an annual fate western death nearby, and
4: uh,
1: <laughs> it was fully loaded at all barrels, and it blew me back ab- about five yards. It was in the marquee, it set fire to the roof of the marquee, and all the fair contestants, rabbits, and stoats and weasels and the like. Shat themselves <laughs> as a result of the an explosion and me falling backwards off. So I, yeah, I learned a lot from firing <laughs> black powder weapons, and uh, I I think considering what they do, they are rather beautiful.
3: I I just think you created that whole scenario to get out of the fate, If I'm honest, it's Machiavellian Absolutely. and brilliant.
1: Well, I I I remember the Holland and Holland because they were they are. actually armorers, they are manufacturers of still rather beautiful fire pieces Mm -hmm. and and shooting paraphernalia and I enjoyed that Uh, we did actually fire at balloons from Mm -hmm. about 10 paces 15, and of course with my air being sprung, I usually set fire to my hair when we fired (laughs) in which was quite fun uh, and I, I think there's one scene where I fire two bakers at the same time. I'm mm. into mean, do a sword fight.
2: So. <laughs> yes. My my one abiding memory of Holland and Holland is I was like I was so gung ho I thought I was like Falklands like super soldier and I I popped a balloon and I marched up to Richmond and I saluted like like uh, Roddy McDowell in Oh Lucky Man and, like, and he said Don't get cocky lad. And Lyndon was always telling me that all through the years, don't get cocky, lad.
3: (laughs) Lyndon, what do you remember about training?
5: I I remember the minibus drive there. (laughs) That was it. Um, I never actually realised until afterwards, after speaking to quite a few people, what an amazing place it was, to be honest. Um, Because when I've spoken to people recently, where I said, oh, similar sort of question, and they, they'd been extremely impressed, whereas at the time I didn't have a clue where I was. So, and a minibus ride, basically. We were lucky because the,
1: the timing was like, if we'd been there now, we'd been annexed by, uh, by Russia. And if we'd been in Turkey, where we were later on, we'd been on the Syrian border. Not a place I'd recommend
2: at the moment. <laughs> actually, actually, John, you know that the earthquake in Turkey two years after we were filming flattened our hotel. The Elmas, it flattened it at two in the morning. Yeah, really? Yeah, pancaked the whole thing. Have you been there then? There would be a total tragedy, or well, even more of a tragedy. Yeah. Well, it was, I mean, Ukraine was a little bit like,
1: Dodge, well, that bit of where we were, a bit like Dodge City anyway, because uh, obviously the Union had just collapsed, has not it? The Soviet Union had just collapsed and we were kind of first in. So yeah. what was a KGB colonel on Friday? It was a mafia gaffer <laughs> on Monday. You well, still FSB. got the plastic suitcase with the automatic pistol in it, but... Uh, so all the, all the KGB colonels became maf- mafia barons,
2: uh, uh the following weekend. They, they also well. became, um, producers of Sharp. Yeah. <laughs>
3: we actually got a question on the, uh, Soviet soldiers that you had as extras. Was that, a, I think it was along the lines of, is it intimidating, um, that you, all your extras were ex-Soviet forces?
5: We were buying all their uniform. Well, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> With the, their belts and their coats and their hats. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> and, and
2: and other things
6: they, they were about 17 years old there was nothing to be so yeah. oh, they,
5: they were lads yeah. yeah it was finding the ones that were, it was finding the ones that were sober
2: <laughs> i must say i was i was entranced by the whole fact that we were hanging out with the red army these guys that had done prague spring nagorno karabakh afghanistan all that stuff Fascinated me, so I re- loved hanging out with those guys, talking to them, buying all their stuff. Jason,
5: Yo- was it when we had that that speech from one of their their senior officers telling us to actually stop buying, stop buying the hats because they're running out of uniform. Yeah,
2: the colonel from Simferopol Ballot- Barracks, which is where these guys, young squaddies, as Paul said, seventeen-year-old grunts, they were they were stripping the barracks, not just of surplus, but of everything. And the colonel had to go to Malcolm Amuro via the the Russian co-producer and say, please tell the actors to stop buying stuff from them, please.
3: (laughs) And... Okay, let me right. This one is for our historians, just because, and I know they've been uh, debating this online as well. Because Ben Hodges asked, um, we've had a lovely demonstration on the video feed from uh, John on how to work a rifle. Is if the Baker rifle was superior to the musket, guys, why not equip the whole army with them? Or was it a case of being too difficult or too expensive?
7: Yeah, this is a this is a really interesting one because um, the uh, Adam will know more, but the experimental corps riflemen were formed to develop the tactics. Different units had different rifles coming in, but um, they were really expensive. And I think the, the gist of it was that the rifles at the time were a bit cutting edge and uh, were trialling this weapon. And it was new technology. It was too expensive to roll out to everyone. And also uh, the tactics at the time had taken hundreds of years of developments going back way before Marlborough. So um, yeah it was it was too it was too radical to develop and change everything at the time but Wellington uh particularly uh loved the riflemen in fact there's a nice little link that after Wellington uh died the then the rifle brigade as they became formed the guard of honor during his funeral through London so there's a nice link between the 95th going through with Wellington there
2: is it true Marcus that uh, Napoleon was offered the rifles before Wellington and said nah, nah, no nah, I have a, I fight Perfectly
7: well. I don't need that stuff. Is that true? Well, I believe so. I believe that not not those not the Baker rifles it became because that ah. was a British manufacturer, But they were developing rifles, and he didn't want his troops having it. They were, they were expensive, and they he liked this big columns. I think they they talk about it in sharp that rat tat and marching forwards and chanting, and uh, that was their elan, their spirits
4: of the French fighting, and they did things differently to us. Mm. But also, you've got the fact that it's a different recruiting base, isn't it? Because with the levee en masse and with more and more of um, French society just kind of being drawn into the army at large, you know, you, you've got to kind of keep these badly trained recruits kind of moving and the rifle's a different kind of concept. It's about hunting out your opponent and, and thinking independently and that's kind of not Napoleon's way of war. But also then he doesn't like the fact that it's it's too long a reload. So that you've got multiple things kind of influencing that.
1: Mm. And distance, I it suppose distance mean. too. You know, you can uh, the Baker was better at l- longer range. Also, rifling a barrel is really quite a technological mm. thing to ask. It, you it know, you've a bar- got a smooth barrel with the with the Brown Bess, and then you've got a a rifle barrel with the Baker. The rifle rifling is ex- extremely complicated and and expensive, as as you gentlemen say.
7: In fact, there's a point, and I shouldn't say it's funny, but it's a bit ironic that uh, a French general in the peninsula when fighting against the riflemen had to write a letter back to Napoleon saying it's not it's not exactly very like sporting. They keep killing all our officers, and it's not fair. <laughs> yeah, <and> from-
2: <laughs> there's another interesting fact. Zach and maybe Marcus can confirm this. Um, <clears throat> um, Stevenson, Stevenson's rocket, went to Ezekiel Baker to ask about how to, to bore metal for his trains. Is that, mm. is that also true? Because if that's the case, then that's like industrial revolution from, from Baker rifle kind of thing, yeah?
7: I believe I've, I've heard that, um, because the Ezekiel Baker, when he was designing it, had such good rifling, uh, techniques in his factories, but, um, yeah.
2: Yeah, pretty cool.
7: It's, cause it, you didn't have interchangeable parts back then. If you lost the spring on your, your rifle, you wouldn't be able to go to the store and just get another spring. Mm. You'd have to make another one that just fitted that exact point. So you couldn't swap things over like you would go down by buy a bag of nuts and bolts and they all fit each other it wasn't like that lock stock and barrel i
1: suppose
7: yeah <laughs>
3: okay guys let's go back to the show um let's go round the the room on this one because uh we have a question from craig johnson who asks let's start with paul what's your favorite episode that you did and if you could change anything, I so know what Jason's answer is going to be to that, uh, what would you change? Paul, you start.
5: Oh, well, I, you know, I, I've not watched them for a while, but I, I, I do, I, I'm, I'm in, in, uh, accord with, uh, Sean Bean on this. I do think Eagle is my, uh, uh, uh Rifles is my favourite. Um, as, I mean, Sean summed it up really well, I thought, in the, in the other podcast, you know, it's really raw and, I don't know, it's just got a great thing about it. Um if I could change something, I don't know. Um I'd maybe try and stop Dara standing in front of me in a lot. Of-
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's going to regret not coming on this so much yeah. is he? <laughs> yeah,
5: But no, I don't really have any regrets. I just, I really liked it and all that, you know, when when Sean comes up and that bit where uh he, he finds the guy asleep, and then I stick the mm-hmm. rifle in short end. You know, all that. I love all that. That's yeah. The, the fab entrance, for me, I felt, you know.
3: Jason, I know you. You're going to say, I wish I hadn't been killed off. But no, we, you know what? More. so,
2: More heart uh, rendering was the death of Perkins for me. Oh. You know Because by the time Waterloo came along, I was thoroughly disenchanted with the management of Sharp.
3: Okay. I was kind oh. of...
2: Finally, <laughs> <laughs> no. This, I mean, this was ultimate. I was, I was really thinking of not doing the fifth show, but you know, because I was such a petulant little, uh, little uh, baby. Anyway, um, I, I would say that uh Waterloo dying that was pretty cool. I thought that was a pretty cool thing and interesting, and it didn't feel terrible, and it was the last ever episode, so. I was kind of cool with that. I thought it was the last one anyway. But I thought the death of Linda Perkins was, oh, terrible. Oh, awful. he was so
3: little and cute, wasn't he? Yeah, you yeah, can't kill off the little cute one. I know, Still. and it's pretty
2: unnecessary as well.
3: I think that's But the my
2: favourite episodes are like, <laughs> like Sean and like Popolito Pop said there, I love Rifles, Eagle, Honour and even Enemy. I loved all that first lot where most of us were running around. Mike? Yeah, well.
6: Anything Would you that,
3: change the Triple M?
2: Yeah,
6: I would, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd also change I'd also change how I left the show. Um, I would like to have done more, but I wasn't in the right place at that time to do mm-hmm. more. Uh I, I'd been ground down by the experience that year and you know, my dad had died and everything. I was a million miles from home and I felt like the chosen men were being given less and less to do. Um, but I wish that I'd... I'm a completely different person now, believe me, honestly, I am. Uh, No, seriously, it's the only thing in my professional career where I thought, I wish I had stuck it out, actually. I only had like a week of my contract left. Um, I wish I had stuck it out, and I would like to have, you know, calmed down, got over that, and then come back and done a bit more. Um,
2: Died at Waterloo.
6: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, Favourite yeah. episodes, um, unquestionably, I think, anything with in. So, I mean, you know, you're talking enemy and... Uh, uh, sorry, you're talking company and... Um, enemy. Enemy and company, yeah. Um, I mean, I love Sharp's Rifles for the reasons that have been said so far, because we were introduced and set up so well. Um, but I thought Postlethwaite brought something so special to, to those two episodes, and indeed Asunta and... Um, You know, all the other cracking um, actors that were on board. Um, Yeah, those were my favourites.
3: John, what about you?
6: Uh,
5: It's
1: it's difficult because I didn't know who these characters were. Mm. But it seemed in Rifles, for example, that neither did they. (laughs) (laughs) i made up a lot of background for them and strangely enough the director filmed it so i decided where jason came from where jason came from for example and that he was a courtier to my lord bacchus
3: i do remember that yeah i may
1: have decided that, that Michael was, don't know. Had we heard that you were a picklock? Well, how did I? And and Paul just said army. That's all he could say. <laughs> he just kept <said, laughs> saying army. Where 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 are you from? And just said army. I think is that
6: right, yeah. Paul? Uh, yeah, just yeah said, just army. So just army. Brilliant, brilliant piece of writing and acting. Just army.
1: And your family, army. And and, and I thought. That was so. I there wasn't that scene wasn't in. I know we haven't got any backstory at all. It's we were incredible. just ciphers. We were just green ciphers. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about expressions and how to uh, how to do a reaction, I only found out recently that I can only react on one side of my face. Because that's the edge of the frame that I was always placed on. <laughs> <laughs> I never got to be <laughs>
2: uh,
1: the left hand side of my face. No, I I thought I thought that anything with Postle Swedish was the greatest actor in the world. Yeah. I got I got uh not so long ago I got to work with Spielberg mm-hmm. and at the end of the shoot he came across and said? That name for <laughs> I'll
5: just get that name for you there,
1: John. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, At the end of the shoot, the reason I'm saying this, you'll see in a second. At the end of the shoot, he came across and said, you're a friend of Pete Puzzleswight's, aren't you? I said, yes, and you are too, because you think he's the greatest actor you've ever directed. And he said, yes, he is. He said, will you tell him he's got a, a, a part in my next film? I said, no, you tell him. Stephen, no, 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 I want you to tell him because you're his friend. It would be a nice thing to do. I oh. said, well, that's really generous. Charity what film was him. that? It, would go, it was Lincoln. Ah. Yeah, mm. Dante Lewis. Yeah. Yep. Mm. And by the time I had wronged Pete, he died. Mm. Oh. But so much
3: put outpouring of love from all you guys quality, and Sean that's as well. And the
1: of Spielberg as well. That he wanted a friend of his to tell him that he got a part in Lincoln. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. That was very moving. Lyndon,
3: what was your favourite episode and what would you change? Do you even (laughs) remember being in shop? I'm starting (laughs) to doubt. (laughs)
5: What was the programme we're talking about again? Sorry.
2: (laughs) Uh, Singing Detective. Bye bye, baby.
5: <laughs> yeah, get a video. video. Um, Probably, I mean, to, I'll go with the fossil white ones like everybody else because they are just. I mean, he's legendary. They're legendary, um, and so on. Uh, I like gold, even though no one else does, um, purely because sure. I think it's the one we're in the most. So <laughs> um, we, might, we might we might not do a lot. We do a lot of walking through fields and across places. Um, but, yeah, I, I liked it because it was actually, I don't think they had any other actors in it, but that's
2: so all right. Um, don't forget Rosie. Don't forget Rosie. Remember? What? Irish Rosie. I- Rosie? Oh, she really liked me. Yes, us. <laughs> 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 yeah, she, yeah. She blamed us for everything.
3: Mike, you've talked about why um, you left, but Ollie Davis did ask, um, he said, one question I have is what happened to Tongue and Cooper's characters if memory served, they just disappeared. So, Paul, what happened to you?
5: Well, um, you remember there's a bit where he says, not now Jezebel. Mm -hmm. Um, So, he's he's saying, implying by that, later Jezebel. So, that's where he goes.
3: (laughs) 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 <laughs> Nicely done um, I know Adam wants to know this one as well um, Michael Kirby asks What is everyone's favourite quote, quip or one-liner from the series He likes Lieutenant Price's uh, I'm acting adjutant Oh, I ain't any longer
2: I'll start I
5: love
2: I uh, love the, r- the lines that Mr Tams wrote for me I can read, sir <laughs> but, but which I write down a lot when I'm signing autographs. But one I used to really love with Sean was when he said, "A bloody air trumpets." So we would always, <laughs> say that. but instead of the B word, we'd add the F word. But the ultimate, ultimate one, which I love and I say over and over, is the lines between Brian Cox and Sean. And Brian says, "Uh," and Sean says, "You expect me to rise up, throw a rag on a pole? You do, Richard. You do. <laughs>
3: I love that for some reason." <laughs> Mike?
2: Right. Well, I mean, it's, so, it's so obvious, isn't it? I mean, I love
6: Sean's line, uh, Jules and then I, uh, bloody choose you. <laughs> and, and my my own favourite line, of course, is, um, ticket to leave, sir, just claps eyes on me, sir. <laughs> when I spot the rabbit over there and I go, and, or the hare rather, and I go and bag it and, I uh, have to get a ticket to leave the, um, the march, uh, off, off Sean and, uh, off I go, shoot it, come back with it. So, yeah clap eyes on me supper yeah and i'm i'm looking at the clock and i' I'm, I'm sort of clapping the eyes on my lunch in about an hour anyway carry on
3: <laughs> john what tired, about you me, hmm? what's your favorite one liner or quote me? from the show yeah
1: uh pass always yeah Pete bustlesthwaite saying Eons. <laughs> Do you remember that <laughs> he, Eons. <laughs> <laughs> November the fifth, nineteen hundred, and frozen to death. The set caught fire. Actually, <laughs> yes, there was yes. A
2: sharp sword. And I was,
1: yeah. uh, I, I was off duty. I was to the set for, to try and solve the problem of the burning set, which was still smouldering. And and I thought, I think I've got, I know what to do. So I came back to the place, the Vardia place mausoleum, and I and I I wrote a scene, so they could uh, because it was burnt down they couldn't shoot the they couldn't shoot on the 360, which you need for a sword fight and there was a sword fight at the conclusion, and we were to fly to Lisbon, so if we if we hadn't finished filming we were going to be there for about another three or four weeks while they rebuilt the fort so I, And I'd been out with Sean a few times in Sheffield and, and so on, and, and we'd had a lager or two. And, uh, you know, he he can use his hands, can Sean? He's got very fast hands. Uh, and I've heard him say this before, so I put it in the script, which is, uh, it, it says to the French officer, you're going to have a sword fight with outside now. Uh, and yeah. that, that's, I think that's <laughs> my favourite line, because I can't <laughs> say it. I really remember that one. We flew to Lisbon the following day and it saved 50,000 pounds me writing that uh, scene and I got mm. to Lisbon and the producer said come and have lunch I want to talk to you about what you've been doing and I went to have lunch with him I remember I had liver and onions and uh, a, a nice uh, <laughs> bottle of shiraz and uh, and that was it
3: That's So none all. of the 50,000 oh, pounds went God, your way God, then I
1: got paid. <laughs> A <laughs> <the laughs> bottle of shiraz, and I'd say,
5: brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> it was the first meal. <laughs> I <I'm so happy laughs> with
1: Jason. It was a pleasure being killed at Waterloo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Linden. And what yeah, about you?
3: The that amazing stunt
2: fly, uh, Johnny. The amazing stunt fly that landed on our hand. Remember? That's right. Amazing, yeah. eh? Yeah, and you took at
1: least fifteen goes to get stabbed in the back wasn't your yeah. fault. don't right. yeah. And, and the, the touching thing was Sean wasn't working that day, but he turned up to watch his brother get killed. you remember? You're yeah.
3: <laughs> <He was, laughs> saying that Jason made a meal out of his death scene. I don't believe you. Oh, Impossible.
1: No, he, 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 Jason was spot on every time. He fell exactly on the sixpence. But the other guy was either a yard behind him or too too many feet in front, and yeah. uh, we shot it about at least a dozen times, didn't we, before he got it right. And you were
2: happy with it, yeah. And then what I it, went what all,
1: it, all camp and got you to crawl out and hold my hand. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what it what it was, John, was. Um one of the stuntmen, Igor, Ukrainian stuntman, was my buddy for years, all years, and he didn't want to nail me with the with the musket. I had a massive pad in my back. He said, just hit me hard, please. And he was getting yeah. his little, oh, I can't heal Jason, no. And yeah, that's why it took a, so long. Good man. It did take a while, didn't it? All, it did take things. a while. <laughs> I saw I saw Igor in Kiev last year. He says hello to you all, guys. Oh, bless all him. you guys. No, yeah, he's a good man. He's, he's good a man. good man. No, but it, 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 was, it was difficult at
1: the time. It was.
3: It was. Lyndon, do you remember any lines from Sharp?
5: No, I, can't, I, I honestly can't even remember a single line. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, what
3: about you?
1: You must thought, know that bro- Lyndon was the major star of The Chosen Man. When he arrived, he was a high-flying wonder kid. Yes. I been mean, just done... And when I left, John, what was I when I left? <laughs>
3: <laughs> what had you done okay. before, then?
1: Oh,
5: um detective. Singing Detective was the first thing when I was 13. Um, you were a major in that. It was quite a rather large thing, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. so from, uh, sharp, from after Sharp, it just went downhill, didn't <laughs> it?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Paul, if you could stop laughing, what's your favourite one-liner?
5: I got, can I have three?
3: Yeah, go for it.
5: My, one of my favourites is, uh, one that Dara said actually, and it's, 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 it's <laughs> it, 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 you wouldn't necessarily notice it, but it became a, a bit of a running joke for us after he'd said it. And it's a scene where Paul Bigley gets whipped, and, uh, and Sean whips out, um, some brandy, a pint of brandy. Give him some brandy, Pat. And, uh, and, and Dara says, here I and he puts the, the the canteen in the kid's mouth. He says, "Here you go, pint of brandy, half in your belly and half on your back." And that <laughs> became a bit of a slightly a slightly dirty joke, but I'm not going to go any further on that one. <laughs> my my favourite my favourite line that I had was, and, and actually a lot of this was down to the reaction from my dear friend Lyndon there. Which was yay? I say yay at the at the funeral and the and the, and the hilarious response that uh, Perkins gives me to that. I love that. <laughs> and uh, and so that's my favourite one. And the favourite line I heard, which is a bit naughty, but um, which was wasn't in the thing, but I heard someone say was because I, I was reminded of it when John was talking about his liver and onions, and he was making quite light of it. But of course, while we were filming, John got quite poorly and lost a ton of weight. And I remember one day we were, I was sat next to Sean and he just said, and he, and John walked by and he, John, Sean just went, oh, hey, look at John Tams. He's so fucking thin you can't fucking see him. <laughs> 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 oh, um, to frame, there you go. You're probably behind Dara. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love it. Um, so, someone. Uh, we've already talked about death scenes. So Rad has asked about some of the famous actors um, that weren't famous. Obviously, you were much more famous at the time, but those buggers have gone on to be bigger than you um, uh, in some ways, I guess. One being Daniel Craig, which is what Rowan Kendrick um, specifically who? asked. About exactly mm-hmm. who. Uh, what was it like working with Daniel Craig on Sharp's Eagle? And I put in Mark Strong as well. I love him as a British bad guy in that. these Did you have any inkling that these people um, were going to go on to, to sort of Hollywood stuff? And also, were they complete divas to work with?
2: Do you want me to start, boys? Yeah,
1: yeah go, yeah, go on.
2: Okay, as soon as I saw Daniel Craig, I thought, wow, that dude is like a young Steve McQueen, and I reckon something's going to happen. But he was so arrogant and looking down his... I loved it. I loved arrogant looking Arrogant and didn't suffer fools gladly. I, and he's exactly the same now. He has not changed a jot. Oh. So when I saw him I I knew that. Mark Strong, very lovely, lovely chap. Um I he was big in theatre. But the one person I thought I knew was going to be a size, Paul Bettany. Reminds yeah. me of Paul. Reminds me of Paul Trussell a little bit as well sometimes. He was
3: hilarious. He was Paul Truss is better looking, obviously. Of course. Thank you. Uh,
2: and a <laughs> bigger dude, <deal>, apparently.
3: <laughs> Especially with that wig on. <laughs> For those that don't know, Paul emerged onto this uh recording session wearing basically a Britney Spears wig and claiming that he hasn't been able to get to a (laughs) hairdresser. He's got it back on now. He looks like um, the blonde guy from Wayne's World, basically.
2: Wayne's World.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Jason. I'll just finish up.
2: So Paul Bettany was on all the time. It was was his first job, I think. Um, But he's naturally really funny and witty. I don't think they've ever tapped into that in movies. <clears throat> it's kind of weird, but anyway. Definitely
3: not in the Da Vinci Code. He just spent that one flogging himself, didn't he?
2: Yeah, but he, he's really light and funny and sparkly. He's, he's fantastic. I mean, oh, if you get really the Harris Video Diaries, episode 10 and 9, you'll see that.
3: Oh, what a plug. Nice done. <laughs> Mike, what about you?
2: Um.
6: Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't quite so blown away by Daniel as, as Jason was, but I was very struck by his eyes, those incredible blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that Daniel, yeah, didn't suffer fools gladly. He also didn't suffer alarm clocks very gladly. <laughs> particularly, particularly Lyndon Davis's alarm clock. So I had <laughs> my <laughs> room and there was Lyndon's room and then there was Daniel's room on that particular year. And I don't know <laughs> where Lyndon was in the middle of the night and in the early morning. But he left his alarm clock in his room. Uh, in
5: my defence, can I just defend myself? Of every day, every day there was a power cut when we were out filming. And the alarm clock reset itself to midnight. Ah, it was a was 5.99 a- Argos alarm clock. Daniel <laughs> Craig,
6: Daniel Craig went on the war path. He was going up and down the house.
5: Yeah, this the- was, this was, alarm this, Michael, this Where's was... The was alarm. Michael. Where's
6: Lyndon? I'm gonna bloody break into his...
5: It was extraordinary. Michael, this was, this was the third night of the week it had gone off. The first night, Brian Cox, Brian Cox found me and said, Linda, I think your alarm's going off. You think you need to come up and switch it off? And I, and every day, I'd switch it off. We'd go to work the next day. The power cut would happen. I would not know. I was down in the bar, having a shandy. And, <laughs> uh, every night. And then, and then by about the Thursday, Daniel Craig, um, climbed over the balcony. Broke into my hotel room, took my alarm clock, threw it over the balcony, and broke it. And I was deeply upset.
3: So what you're <laughs> saying is Daniel Craig owes you five ninety nine.
5: Yes, five ninety nine, and I'll, I'll take six quid.
3: And an apology.
5: Um, no, I don't want no, I don't want an
3: <laughs> <laughs> Paul, what about just, you?
5: Just give, me, just give me six quid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't remember what you asked. I'm so sorry.
3: The, the famous people that came out of shop.
5: Oh well, I had a lot of fun with Neil Dudgeon, who of course went on to be, um, Shady.
3: Uh, <laughs> Shady. What
5: was
1: that? Shady. Like him and Michael Cochran were called the Booz Brothers.
5: Yeah, Michael, <laughs> Michael Cochran, uh, Simerson of course, and, and, uh, Neil Dudgeon were Just such amazing value. I think all the chaps will agree. Particularly, in fact, particularly Cochrane, who was called Cocky. Cocky,
4: yeah. uh, yeah.
5: He just basically he spent sort of the whole time he was there living off cigarettes and alcohol essentially. I never mean, took <laughs> And uh he was just an absolute delight. And I had the I was very lucky. I worked with Michael a few times now, and he's just one of those people when you see you see in your eyes light up. Uh Daniel Craig, yeah, I mean he just sort of looked right through me as I recall. He didn't as Jay says really. He didn't really Um, have any sort of time for me as I recall.
3: But you were Um, more famous than he was at this point, right? Let's just get that in there.
5: Yeah, and I used to tell him that, but for some reason (laughs) he he got the right arse ache about it
3: and uh, went off and became James Bond. Ah, oh, Neil Dudgeon. I've just wikipedia and I know who you're talking about because I was watching actually a back episode of Silent Witness last night and he was the snotty detective in that. Guys, if you do Google him, you'll see his face and you'll go, oh, that guy, because he's been in it's loads of things. He's been in murder,
2: Summer Murders. murders.
3: Yeah. yeah, and he was okay. in um, Sherlock Holmes, the one with uh, Rupert Everett, wasn't he? He was Lestrade. Yeah, I mean, he's
5: not on, you know, obviously he's not um Daniel Craig level, but he's, a, you know, really done well over here and stuff. And uh, he's just a great guy and uh, really good fun. I remember going once to a, do you remember this, Jace? We went to a, a, a market in the Ukraine and he came back with an enormous illuminated gondola.
3: Is that and, the one where Sean uh, Bean bought the hammer for half a pence that he still <laughs> uses every day?
2: Uh, <laughs> very likely, yeah, very likely. Sim- the Simferopol <laughs> Bazaar, um, the Altar Bazaar
3: oh i feel like i have to go there Uh, right no good luck (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay do you know what i love love this question um if the sharp books were being adapted for a newer audience um who would you want to play you in the reboot also who would you um want to play other characters such as Wellington and... Uh, do you know what? I don't think you ever could. Let's not recast Pete Postlethwaite's character. Let's leave yeah. it for Pete. No. But who would you have? Mike, you could be Wellington, couldn't you? Absolutely.
6: Now? I'd love to, yeah. I mean, I wasn't really properly cast as a Cockney Picklock, even though I am a <laughs> Londoner. But um, I always felt I, I should really be been playing one of the officers, but then I wouldn't have got to hang out for five or six films. Um, You'd have more lines, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed, yeah. I, I'd, I'd love to see, I, I would like to have seen John taking on my role, because I think he'd, he'd have brought something very interesting to it, to Cooper. He'd have found something in it that, uh, that maybe I didn't find, Um failed to find.
3: No, what but about really, now? Who would you have now?
6: Now?
5: Can I think about that? I'll come
6: back to you in a moment. Yeah,
3: tomorrow. no, but who's got an answer?
5: Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> 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 Yeah.
1: I love it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On now. He'd do
3: it. <laughs> he's, he's Years on have it. not been kind to Macaulay Culkin either. If he's listening, sorry, dude, but you, you can't hide from it.
2: A lot of people <laughs> say I look like Jared Harris.
6: I know. I worked with him once.
5: Yeah. Honestly, do I like him? I no. look no. A little
6: bit, but you're far more good-looking and charismatic. Um, on the
5: back, Jason. <laughs> on, the the back. Back. <laughs> on the back. <laughs>
3: Oh, Me? John, who would you have play you? Oh. He's thinking. He's got his thinking man pose. That's a thinking pose. Yeah.
5: Johnny?
1: Oh mate, yeah, well, um, to, what?
3: To yeah, what, if someone was going to play uh, your role yeah. now, who would it be?
1: I'd, I'd, I'd do it myself. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, like that, I'm myself, I'd be even older, but and greyer, but I'd do it myself, providing I could keep my mustache.
2: And Willie you... Nelson. <laughs> Willie Nelson could play Hagman. Willie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nelly Wilson, whatever his
5: name is. <laughs> yeah.
3: Oh, what about you?
5: Um Daniel well, Craig? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, no, he's not tall enough. <laughs> Uh, I think it would be it a toss-up between Whacking Phoenix or Michael Mears, I feel uh, <laughs> a cross between the two, what ideally. What about Stephen Merchant? Merchant, <laughs> Merchant, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> potentially Merchant, a sort of Merchant Whacking Phoenix hybrid. Mm. <laughs> well, that is Bettany. a
3: terrifying thought. Yeah. <laughs>
5: I wish I'd got the job as Perkins, to be honest.
3: (laughs) 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 Mike, who do you reckon? You've had some time to think.
6: Uh, I haven't come up with anything yet. Um, (laughs) He's he's still um, holding that (laughs) pose. He's still got that look. I've worked with with Hugh Grant a couple of times. He's too old really, but I'd like to see him take on
5: Cooper. Uh, (laughs) I I I, I think I'd like to see Hugh Grant (laughs) strip (laughs) them.
1: Tucci played Cooper. He played Cooper in Paddington
2: too, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, right. I just a quick one for the historian.
2: <laughs> Stanley Tucci could have played Cooper.
6: Nice, nice choice. Like it. Good
3: I one. thought you like it. And um, just a quick one for the guys. We we heard about your. Football um, and what it did to Paul McGann. Well, he kind of—it sounds like he kind of did it to himself, unfortunately. But the, James has asked the football scenes in sharp—were they planned or was this another improv where you were just like, let's just see if this works? And Zach, is there any record of them playing sports, etc. In their downtime? Um, what did the higher ups think on it? When did we play football?
2: Zach. Zach. When
3: did we play football? <laughs> uh,
2: beginning of Enemy. Was I in it? Yeah, (laughs) only Poplito, Poplito wasn't there. But we didn't, we didn't rehearse that, did we, Chase? I mean, well no, just, just, we didn't even know it was happening until the morning it was there, because they never gave us a... Was I any good, Jace? Oh, you, you were like Ryan Giggs, don't you remember? Yeah, no,
5: obviously
2: not. No, it was, it was like, it was like a hybrid rugby football tough sort of bizarre game. No,
5: didn't it get cut? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, 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 it was in there, but it was kind of replicating the moment where Tim Bentink and Julian Fellows come upon Harper and Shorter and Sharp scrapping on the floor. So this is where like, uh,
5: yeah, Farthingdale rolls
2: up and we're like in a, in a ruck. I mean, it was a pig's bladder, wasn't it?
0: It's yeah. As clear
2: as, it's as clear as something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sharp's Enemy, beginning scene, Lord Fartingdale pops in and goes, Oh, disgusting oinks, playing sports. Oh. Yeah, Right, Sad. sounds
4: good.
3: <laughs> Zach, is that realistic?
4: I've been racking my brains about this because the officers, there's quite a lot of detail about them going hunting. Um so Wellington had a pack of hounds which he used and used to go out daily um during the the early part of eighteen thirteen to try and kind of recover from a pretty awful campaign. But I can't think off the top of my head of any records of the men playing football or, or anything oh, kind of similar I'm...
3: to it. <laughs> Nor could Linden, yeah. <laughs>
4: We're, in We're in this together, man. nor can I. They spent plenty of time gambling. Um but from the memoirs it looks like they spent more of their time drinking and chasing the local ladies rather than sort of playing sport.
3: Lin- I remember Linda that. remembers that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um let's let's do one more round the table and then I've just got a music question um and I want to bring Adam in to talk about um the ninety fifth rifles. Uh so one question that came up uh, numerous times was, what is your favourite memory, or in Linden's case, any memory um, <laughs> of being on set for Sharp? i um, will come back to
5: me. I'm about to think about this
3: one. Jason, I know you'll know.
5: Yeah.
2: Um, straight away, what comes to mind is defending um, Santiago de Compostela, or Tori Castro, and we raised the gonfalon, and the, all of those scenes leading up to us retreating into the churchyard. There's a lull in the fighting, a chorister, a priest in the chorister walks through the battle. Uh, it's just a wonderful scene. You know, Hagman, a uh, get, um, tongue gets hit in the leg, lots of little stunts. It was a real togetherness uh, scene, and uh, I loved it. Obviously, it's episode ending, but that comes to mind, the raising of the gonfalon at Torrey Castro. Paul?
5: I think I really enjoyed that time when we were on the bridge. Mm. That was fun, I remember. You boys, Lyndon and uh, Jace were underneath uh, wiring gunpowder up, I remember. And I think I was on watch or something and it was just great. And then all, and then the, didn't the French all come running over the bridge and we sort of ran at them and I remember slamming some extra Not very pleasant of me. In the chest with my hand, and he went (laughs) Just, (laughs) I mean, I didn't mean. You know, he was okay. I just should say, wasn't hurt. Was
3: it an extra, or was it Daniel
5: Craig? In my mind, it was Daniel Craig, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it was an. I knew it was an extra because he was. He was Daniel (laughs) Craig.
3: I love you, Daniel, if you're listening.
5: Um, (laughs) It was a stuntman, probably. Yeah, I think it was a stuntman, yeah. I think so it was a
3: seventeen right. year old Russian.
5: Yeah, but then on that a whole time on that bridge was it was really, really cool and and Tom dear old Tom Clegg was absolutely brilliant and he was hopping around in the water and getting all different shots. It was it was really, really fun and then and then the craziness of watching that bridge get blown up, you know, actually not a computer, it Twice. was blown up the name really. That's right. They rebuilt it. You're right. Did they? Why did they do it twice? I can't remember. One for Paul, one for, one for Sean. Paul. Okay, one for Paul McGann, one for Sean. Yeah, so that's my. You know, I've got lots of happy memories, so but that's my main one. I think. Where did they get this centex from?
2: <laughs> ah,
5: it's the <your> Soviet <laughs> Union. <Yeah.
2: laughs> <laughs> <laughs> so Bazaar. <laughs>
3: John, what's your favourite memory on set? <sighs>
1: I like the fact that I was such a good shot. I could shoot a cavalry officer on Monday and he wouldn't fall off his horse till the following Thursday. I do <laughs> how brilliant a shot I was. And how slow the ball comes out the end of the Baker rifle. It took four days to get to the shot. <laughs> I like that a lot. And sometimes it fell off before I shot him. He may have shot... Probably fell off on Friday, and and then I had to wait to shoot him on Monday. I I quite like it. And I I, I, I offset my favourite one is we went next door when we were in Turkey to have some chips, Sean and I, and 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 he said, and he they were lovely chips, and they arrived, and he looked up and said, "Uh, Have you got any vinegar? And uh, the guy (laughs) explained, you can't explain vinegar, incidentally, in any way. (laughs) <laughs> and he explained vinegar to this lovely Turkish guy. And I, I was sitting next to him, and there was a big tree of lemons. So I took some lemons off the tree and chopped them up and squeezed them on my chips. Yeah, yeah you can't have lemon on your chips, he said. And I put some salt on. And then he said, give a chip then. So I give him one of mine, having enjoyed the And he said, oh, blimey, these are good. And to this day, Sean Bean still
2: has lemon on his chips. Really? <laughs> <laughs> because I know he hates. I he hates mayonnaise. Yeah, but
1: it has got no vinegar. of <laughs> yeah. is lemon juice. <laughs> That's and where I'm, I lost the fiddle. I had a fiddle in, in some episodes, and it got stole that very day. While I'm and pretty that sure, sure it was Sean Bean. Here. He
3: seems to have everything from the set <laughs> in his house linden hello go on favorite memory on set
5: it's a difficult one i I, do not remember actually actually going there i think it's the the whole thing to be honest it's it's the guys i mean we we haven't seen or spoken to each other but donk is some of us and we've come back today and it's like we haven't been away you know it's like the whole the whole sort of camaraderie of it and the way we got on we went um, we went to Hell and Back and, and then back again um, while making it, and it was. This, I don't think I can pick up one specific favourite scene, it's just the whole the whole emotion to me it was such a roller coaster ride. Mm. Um, some good, some bad, some worse than bad, some brilliant, some shocking, but it mm. ended up with a decent program. What about the
2: tavern stealing Eagle? Yeah, was I don't
5: was <laughs> <laughs>
1: Every one of us got poorly at some point, quite seriously poorly.
3: Yeah, we mm. talked about that on the podcast with Sean because you actually lost your first Wellington, didn't you? And um I think yeah. th- Jason, you did say that perhaps the the medical care wasn't what it should have been um in terms of dysentery and other realistic eighteenth century ailments that you yeah, were we, coming we, down We weren't,
6: we weren't we clapping really every Thursday evening at eight PM. The
5: the drinking of the drinking of vodka helped. That was the <laughs> only medicine that we had with
3: mike what was your favorite memory on set
6: well yeah there are lots but i I suppose my favorite ones revolve around the non-fighting moments so for example the um the big feast in rifles Mm. rifles load and we all just got stuck into all this nosh um really enjoyed that scene I mean, we shot it twice because we shot it once. Wasn't that our very first day in Stanford with Paul? McGann. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yes. 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 We had to reshoot it in was that in Portugal, Chase? Yeah, Portugal. Another lovely moment. I love the um, the birth the birth of the baby, and um, I remember me looking through the tent, Tamsie, <laughs> saying, "Blankets, Cooper. Blanket, blankets. Yeah, blankets, blankets." And um not with human childs. Yeah. Lovely tender scene. Lovely <laughs> scene. I also remember us doing the famous Rifles March, you know, three walk, free trot. Quick time, that, bordling time. Through that hot valley somewhere. I can't remember which one it was, but we are going, you know. Um, I know. There's, there's
5: a, one bottle of water I between 20 people.
6: Yeah, yeah. So those are three of my favourite
3: moments. Excellent. Um, So you guys, these two shows that we've done um, have completely, it seems, reignited people's uh, passion for Sharp. Because Adam, aren't you now reforming or reopening the Sharp Appreciation Society? Um, And you guys, actually, you and I think Marcus are part of the 95th Rifles, aren't you? So Sharp has really sort of gone on for a new generation because you're not of an age that you would have watched them as an adult and then started – re-enacting are they you've come to it later
8: yeah absolutely i came to it um i think my first re-enacting event was actually with jason linden and john in nottingham for the sharp chefs mm-hmm. book signing um that's what that's what got me into it, yeah, it as waterstones um, i remember running around nottingham getting cds for for several of the ladies for john to sign um that was really what got me into it um i was in the middle of doing my dissertation at university and um I was doing it on the ninety fifth and got invited up to to help out and then that was sort of my my way of sort of researching sort of what they were doing. Um, so yeah, for, for me Sharp was definitely a way into the hobby. Um, the other part of the question was about the Sharp Appreciation Society, wasn't it? I've been um, I have been one of the groups on Facebook, Sharp's Rifles Group, and um, there's been a lot of posts coming up since we've been in lockdown with people rifling through their stuff finding oh here's my Sharp Appreciation Society card. Um, and it, there's so much love still for it that I've sort of it's got me thinking thinking would it be would it be a good idea to to reform because there's so much love for it still
7: you must dedicate it to
1: christine if you if you do absolutely absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah
2: yeah
7: you'd be surprised how much it comes up in uh, a context for history and uh, the line between fact and fiction and the amount of people think that sharp and the chosen men really were there because they've uh read it <laughs> so many times and watched it if every
8: event we go to when we march past, they're like, "Oh, it's sharp the chaser, men." It's like,
3: no, no, <laughs> no they weren't real. Um, we, right. And
2: we must thank and we must thank Adam because Adam formed the first um, Facebook sharp rifles uh, Facebook group, which is massive. And uh, Adam started that, and it's uh, helps cool. to stoke the the legend. So well done, Adam. Well
3: done. Okay, one last question. Um, I think it's for John. Uh, what was your favourite piece of music recorded for the show? And if you can pick one song that didn't make the cut, what would it be? Uh,
1: it, there wasn't a song that didn't make the cut. Okay. Uh, uh, because most of them were done on camera, you see.
3: Um,
1: and the scene, if the scene got cut, probably the song did, but it didn't. Um, they, they were all kind of useful because they advanced time and so on and and gave a sense of what we were doing on downtime it's uh, uh oh there was one i remember we were marching out of a fort towards the mediterranean somewhere and uh, uh and, and uh, there was no time to teach uh, a psalm so i sang uh when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie and some more <laughs> And we all marched to that. But uh, I, would, I would like liked it to have stayed in for Dean Martin's sake. But uh, that that, no, I, I, I can't, I can't think of a, of a favourite one. Uh, Love Farewell probably was, was probably my favourite. Which yeah. was actually taken off an album. But uh, Tom Clegg decided to use it when, when Sean's <clears throat> having to leave his home in France and go back mm-hmm. and have a scrap. Mm-hmm. And I recorded it some time later for Out for, for Heroes with the with band and bugles of the Rifle Regiment, oh, which was, yeah. it was a nice thing to be involved with, and I'm honoured to have done that.
5: Hey, John, I'm a, little, yeah? I'm a little bit disappointed you didn't say that it was tongue singing to be a pilgrim. <laughs> so, so,
1: I, you know what, Paul, I was thinking of that when someone else was speaking, and, I, and it is actually, the truth that you gave to that, the honesty and the authenticity, uh, was, was magnificent. I thought, I think it's probably the best piece of in, in the whole series. But seriously, it's really good, because it, it, act, it's, on, it's a night scene, and you're on picket, on duty, on Century, and it's, uh, and, and because, we didn't know. I mean, Tong had had army and a kind of Rosicrucian belief in in oh. the weird religion as well. He was mm-hmm. kind of a, a eerie. I, I like that mystery about him. You know?
5: Thank you. Uh, it, remember,
1: yeah, I, it, was, it, was, it was good. We I was thinking about I- that as well. Like,
5: I remember you, you, John. I would sing this to be a pilgrim. I'm not one of the life's natural singers, and I'd be singing it trying to get it in my head. And John coached me again and again and again. No, it's to be, a, you know, in his wonderful way, and he coached, well, me, you, he coached you me. You
1: see, you get. I'm I'm in a row at the moment with Alexander Armstrong and Elfie Bow. Alexander both recorded Over the Hills and Far Away, yeah. Oh they're both recorded it with the with my words and so on. Uh and they both sing it in posh voices. Now Alexander Armstrong is posh, but Alfie Bro's from Fleetwood in Lancashire and he talks like me. Yeah. So why is he singing it in in this non existent voice yeah. that uh that Mm. show singers have it's not a real voice now the beauty of that was when Paul sang to be a pilgrim he sang it as tongue he sang it in a vernacular voice and it breaks your heart if you hear that sort of honesty now hmm. if Alf-, Alf-, Alf Alfie Bell had sung it like a soldier in a soldier's voice, in his fleetwood voice, I wouldn't have said anything, but I wrote to him and gave him gave him bollocks and Didn't get anything <laughs> <back to him.
3: laughs> and But I'm, you I said can, your piece.
1: I think i am song at the moment because there's no credits on it. There's no credits on any of them. But you know,
2: Can yeah. I say my favourite songs? Yeah. I love poor old soldier because we used to adapt the lyrics and say if ever I sign for Sharp's Rifles again, I'll need my head examined. <laughs> and I loved, um, properly now, uh, properly not, not no, seriously, when um, Scott and Johnny sang, Hearts um, Hard Oak are our men, hearts of are our ships. That was beautiful. And then Mickey Mears I singing sing the that. Old Bailey song. I don't sing that. Oh, no, oh, just, 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 um... <laughs> Arts of I I didn't. Yeah, say. Just, just um uh, price. Just um Scott. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Sorry
2: John. I, I gave you credit I, where it wasn't you. I railed against that because it's
1: an art song. It's not a people ah, song. It was quite beautiful though. It was written. Whereas all the
2: stuff all the other stuff that we sang was just found. It was passed down, yeah. Yeah, it was
4: found. But I I didn't like You're Sharp's
2: right. company I didn't like Sharp's company anyway.
5: No. No. Jay, some of the Michael Mears one that you liked. Um, uh, the Old Bailey song, McKean.
6: Oh yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. That was you, a found song, wasn't it John? What? That was a found song. all
1: judges and juries Michael? Yeah. Yes, yes. Justice in yes. Old Bailey too. You sang it magnificently. It's a great, it's a great song. Love that, love I, that. I think we should all have sung a lot more, you know, not just me. And it would have been great. Um, but Sharp, the musical beckons. It does.
3: If anyone, if Andrew Lloyd Webber is listening. Yeah. Uh, right, okay. As Lerman should do it. <laughs> yeah, what? I think that would be no, Yeah. <laughs> uh, Marcus, Zach, Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you didn't really get a word in edgeways, but I'm really glad that you were able to be here to, to interject with some history and also to, to tell the guys how much they're still loved.
4: No, yeah, thank you, Alex. It's been
7: a The uh, history is still very much alive and it's intertwined, so it's lovely to be involved. Thank you. No
3: problem. We will get you three back, I think, to do a a proper history show on it because um, we've talked about the TV show a lot, but perhaps not covered the history behind it. So thanks very much.
7: Great. That would be fantastic.
3: So just before we go, guys, um, and for the love of me, I cannot find the original post to give this lady her due credit, but we had a message from a, a lady who's an ICU nurse who's uh, on the front line at the moment fighting coronavirus, and she asked if you would possibly sing Over the Hills um, to cheer her up. And I spoke to John beforehand, and um, we're going to give it a go, Zoom pending. Um, so this is this is for you.
1: Here's 40 shillings on the drum. For those who volunteer to come, to list and fight the foe today. Over the hills and far
2: away, over the hills and all the line. Through Flanders, Portugal and Spain, King George commands
6: and we are by.
5: Over the hills and far
1: away. If duty calls us, we must go to stand and face the fall. Yes, we will stand, and we will stay, and the NHS will
2: win the day. All the hills and all the main, through Flanders, Portugal, and Spain. King
6: George commands, and we obey,
4: over the hills
1: and far away. Over the hills, and all the main, through Fulanders, Portugal and Spain. King George commands, and we obey, over the hills
3: and far away. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for organising this. No, exactly. thanks Jason Cheers. for getting you all together. Good
2: job. Bye, guys.
6: Bye.
1: Bye. Bye. I love you a lot. And it's good to see you. And looking so well. Keep safe. Thank you. After Thank one you. another.
3: I have a sneaky suspicion that we've not heard the last of Sharp's Chosen Men. Um, but stay tuned for more information on that. Uh, Join us tomorrow when we will be looking at moments that shaped the Cold War with Ian Sanders, uh, who runs the Cold War Conversations podcast. And then on Tuesday, we will be looking at ancient Rome uh, with Emma Southern and we'll be talking Syrian matriarchs um, and putting into perspective ethnicity um, as far as the Romans are concerned a little bit. Don't forget that you can now become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, You can do this by going to www.historyhack.podbean.com dot com, um, and it is much appreciated. While the army have been larking round and singing for you very nicely, I might add, His Majesty's Navy, on the other hand, um, has some serious words to impart.
2: I'm Horatio Hornblower,
5: and I'm Archie Kennedy. The simplest gift you can give in these troubled times is to obey
4: orders. Indeed. The regulations are very clear in the matter. It is the duty of all of us to remain at anchor, until the little people in the talking box, signal you otherwise. You don't want to end up getting flogged. Good day to you. Good day to you, both.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing.